Hello and welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Here we go. The brackets are set. We have four teams from the Tri-State in the NCAA tournament field. UConn, Iona, Princeton, and Fairleigh Dickinson. Now, as of this recording, Fairleigh Dickinson was getting ready to tip off in the first four on Tuesday night against Texas Southern. So I'm just going to briefly touch upon FDU and say something that I, I know college basketball fans out there already know. Just an amazing, incredible, miraculous turnaround by Tobin Anderson and company, taking a 4-22 team, inserting a head coach from the Division II level. He had never been a head coach in Division I. And to go from 4-22 to Northeast Conference runner-up, but they get the automatic bid and go to the NCAA tournament. It is one of the biggest, most miraculous turnarounds in NCAA history. And that is no understatement. So uh, no matter what happens with Fairleigh Dickinson, we hope to have Tobin Anderson on in a future episode and uh, would love to talk to him about this entire NCAA tournament experience. But we are going to begin with the Huskies of UConn in a matchup of Titans. Titans in the coaching ranks. And yes, I put Hurley in that realm because his name, the Hurley name, carries weight. And he will win. There is an immense amount of pressure on Hurley's shoulders. But when you have Hurley versus Patino, that is a marquee matchup in the first round of the NCAA tournament. UConn has potential to go, if not to the Sweet 16, beyond, okay? They have that type of potential. If you don't believe me, look at Vegas. This is a program where they have Final Four and National Championship aspirations each and every year. Say what you want about their recent history, but that's what happens when you walk into that building and you look at the banners. There are different expectations. Four national championships. Only UCLA, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, and Indiana have won more. Since returning to the Big East, we know UConn has not enjoyed much postseason success, right? Three straight losses in the semifinals of the Big East tournament. Two straight exits in the first round of the NCAA tournament. This program hasn't made it out of the first round since 2016. The numbers are there. This is the year they need to make a run. They need to not only get out of the first round, in my opinion, they need to get out of the second round and into the Sweet 16. Otherwise, this season is a failure. They are built to win and get to at least the Sweet 16. But enough about what I think. Let's hear from the head coach himself, Dan Hurley from UConn. And Dan, I finally got you. My, my 526 texts, you finally answered one of them and said, all right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry, my friend. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, Big East is tough, man. So it, you know, you. I think my phone right now is at probably 224 messages unanswered. I, I think the last, or maybe maybe a hair under that. So I I can't imagine what it's like to be the battery on your phone. So 
Uh, <laughs> Dan, uh, how about the sleep? All right, you you get the bracket, it comes out. I mean, do you get much sleep? Are you looking at film at 4 a.m. like so many other coaches? Yeah, I don't, I, you know, I don't know that, um, I'm more up early. I, I, I try to, I try to get a great night's sleep. I took, um, you know, I started watching Iona and Yale um, once we got uh, eliminated from the Big East tournament. I started to try to focus on those two. I felt like I had a pretty good idea. Um, obviously, before Yale played Princeton, um, I just thought we were likely to play one of those two teams. And obviously, it was a little bit of a risk. Um you know, because if you don't play them, you just wasted time <laughs> just watching. <Right. laughs> uh, but I just, I know how the selection committee, you know, I like, I know their sense of humor. I, I, I know obviously the way they try to match things up and I felt there was a great chance. So I got some work done early and I'm more of like up early and I, and I, I go to bed early. So nothing was a shock when you saw Iona come up. Uh, what's the first thing that went through your mind? Well, I, I think the, the only thing that surprised me is that my brother, that I wasn't a three seed playing Iona as a 14 with my brother and like Rutgers in the 11-11, <laughs> you know, like that's why I, I had it like maybe, and I couldn't imagine who the six would be from my past that has haunted me <laughs> or something. But um, yeah, I think the first thing that goes through your mind is that for me, I had a pretty good sense of that's who we're going to play. You go into it again with like some likely opponents and um, you just knew that it would be a type of matchup um, that would create a lot of excitement, um, you know, two Northeastern programs playing in Albany, obviously Hall of Fame coach, you know, big UConn brand with a coach with a, you know, with, with a, with a fiery personality. Uh, you nailed it. You nailed it right there. So, so, Putting the coaches aside, when you look at that team, what stands out to you on Iona? Yeah, I mean, outstanding guard play. Uh, you know, a hell of a backcourt um, in Jenkins and Clayton. You know, both guys that, you know, combined are, you know, getting, you know, close to the mid-30s uh, points-wise. Both guys are close to 16 a game. Both guys could, you know, could shoot and score and, and can play make. Uh Obviously, uh, uh, an outstanding four and five combination um, that's played in the NCAA tournament, um, you know, back to the Alabama game. So, um, you know, you get a mixture of, of, of the different types of pressures that they'll throw at you, the matchup zone, you know, the man, the switching man. Um, you know, you just start to obviously, you know, focus on their personnel and really just uh, preparing for what they'll throw at you offensively and defensively. But um, you know, a real impressive team. Jenkins and Clayton in that backcourt, that, that that's as good as it gets, certainly in, in the Northeast. Uh, but they're, they're front court. I mean, Dan, they're the one Mac team. I haven't seen every Mac team, but, you know, for size, they might be able to match you with size, especially Nellie Jr. Joseph. I mean, he he's mm -hmm. a force. Yeah. And Shima is a seven-footer, legitimately right. playing the four. And, and uh, you know, Joseph is, is – uh, you know, averaging close to a double double and, you know, would be a, a really good big in our league, a starting big uh, in the Big East. And, you know, to bring another seven footer off the bench. Um, you know, listen, when, when you're when you're below uh, that one seed line and you're, you know, you're you're a two seed or, or, or worse in this tournament. I mean, you're you're in harm's way. You're playing somebody, 
you know, even even one seeds haven't always been safe as well. So you just know in this tournament now with um, with how global the game is, with the extra year, extra COVID year, uh, with the transfer portal, uh, the, the the playing field has been leveled out significantly. Dan, you've been going up against great coaches in the Big East all year long, obviously, even out of conference with Nate Oates in Alabama. Um, seems like you've been doing it your whole life. Shoot, I remember when you were butting heads with Kevin Boyle uh, <laughs> all the time, right? I mean, yeah. I, when you go up against a Hall of Famer, another one, and, and Rick Patino, does it challenge you anymore? Do you do you try to look at it in any other way? Challenge him X's and O's? Think about what he's going to do and try to match that? Yeah, I, I think you look at it. Um, you, know, you, you you try to consume as much information about how their team plays. Um, you know, the different things you could expect, the different matchups, the lineups, the wrinkles uh, that they'll throw at you. Um, I, I don't think you look at – I never look at the other head coach and look at it like it's a – it's a head-to-head matchup because um, I think generally teams will play the way they're going to play, um, especially this time of year. I think things are pretty automatic in terms of your style, your identity. It really comes down to you know who could get their players to be at their absolute best um, and be the best version of themselves going into this. I, I do take a, a step back and, and find some you know some joy in it. I mean, not too long ago I was a a high school coach um, at St. Benedict's. I was coaching, you know, at Wagner probably when Rick Pitino was, I don't know what, what he was doing then, whether he was coaching Louisville or he was coaching the, the Celtics, you know. Right. I was coach, <laughs> I was driving a cheese bus when when, when Rick Pitino was coaching the Celtics, right? So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited about, obviously, you, you, you coach against some of these giants and coaching. I got so much respect for the profession. Um, I hold coaches in high regard, you know, the coaches I've always idolized, um, you know, coaches like my dad and Morgan Wooten, uh, because of my dad being a high school coaches, I think we always kind of looked up more to the, you know, more to people in the high school level because they were more something that was closer to where we were. Those Big East cameras, you know, at Madison Square Garden, every opportunity to see your dad and your mom behind you, um, it, it almost seemed like, uh, Coach Hurley was was whispering things into your ear. <laughs> yeah, he was close. Um, the, the one thing I regret is maybe I, I should have um, maybe tried to enjoy the moment a little bit more. Maybe went over and dapped him up to start the game or something. Um, but just your your mind is so focused oh, and yeah. you're not thinking about really anything else but like what you're going to run the next possession on offense and like what your matchups are and, and should you change? And yeah, like, and I, I wish that I was a little bit different that way where I could have appreciated, you know, just maybe the, looking at my wife, Andrea, and, and, and having my Andrew on the team, my son, Danny, right next to me at court side. Like I just, my parents there, I wish I maybe would, could smell the roses, maybe enjoy the moment a little bit more. It's hard. It's hard. You're so focused on winning, Dan. I mean, there aren't too many guys who want to win more than you. So um it, it's hard listen I, i'm sure you do and, and i'm sure you talk to him every day like 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 you do your brother there um so 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 with bobby you know going in the first four in dayton uh they, they're in the west bracket 
you know, <laughs> I'm getting way ahead of myself, but we could see a regional final Bobby versus Danny until then, <laughs> until then, Dan, you know, where are the Hurleys going? I mean, if they get past that first round, um, you know, uh, is there going to be a, a split airfare with mom and dad? <laughs> um, I, I think it's at the Albany region. It's probably a, a lot easier. Maybe some of my, maybe our uncles or, or aunts will go out to Denver and track Bob down. But um, yeah, I think they'll be pretty, you know, if we're able to, you know, get to Sunday, I, I don't know that they'll, it's more convenient just to stay in, in upstate New York, but uh, you know, Bob's, uh, you know, Bob's road through Denver is, is a tough one. Ours in Albany. I mean, the West region is, is, uh, it's a killer. Um, I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think there's any doubt that, it, that it's the, 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 the highest quality. I think of all the regions. I, I think you could get any, any number of teams coming out of that region and, um, uh, wouldn't surprise me. And listen, I know you guys take it one game at a time at UConn. They're just, they're just, as soon as you step foot in that door, you know, and taking over Jim Calhoun's office, I'm I'm sure you felt the pressure. Dan, how are you approaching this tournament uh, any different than the previous two that you've had with UConn where you've had those first round exits? Yeah, I think the first one in Indy was such a different experience. You know, you have to, you go from, uh, you know, playing that COVID season, which wasn't easy and, you're in a bubble in New York and then you head to a bubble in Indy. Um, that, that was unlike any NCAA type of experience. Um, it, it was much, much different. It was obviously much less joyful. And, um, you know, that, that to me was just uh, something I can't compare any type of situation I've been in as a coach. So I'm going to leave that there. Uh, last year, listen, it, it was, um, you know, I, I think I allowed the disappointment of losing that brutal semifinal game to Nova where we were right there. Um, you know, when you play in the Big East tournament, it's unlike these other tournaments because it's, it's it, there's more electricity than almost your first round game because the crowd in your first round game is it's sometimes sparse because the other teams aren't there. So the building doesn't have the type of energy that MSG has. So it's a little bit I don't want to say a letdown in the first round game, but the atmosphere is much different. Plus I allowed the disappointment of, of losing that one possession game to Nova to kind of linger. And I should have moved the team past it a little bit better. And on top of that, you know, you, you play a New Mexico state team that, um, you know, they, they've got the Allen, uh, you know, the, the Allen guy, I don't want to say the kid, cause he was, he was really, really old player and bounced around at a bunch of places in the backcourt. Um, you know, with the kid that's at Texas right now, who's one of their best players and is an NBA player. And they were uh, bigger than us and, and more physical and, and matched us in every single way. So I think, you know, as the game played out, I, I didn't see a ton of physical advantages. Obviously, it was a 5-12 game, but, um, you know, it was, a, it was a bang, bang game that we ended up losing against a team that was just as big and just as physical and had a, a, a super backcourt that just lit us up. So... Um, but the mistake I think I made from a uh, that I look back from a leadership standpoint was that I didn't have my team as enthusiastic and as joyful. Um, and and the, the the difference this year is that we've created uh, we've moved past that Big East game and created I think a more joyful experience for our players. Every time we walk out of the building, I think we're demanding that the dance team, the band, and the cheerleaders are 
are, are waiting for us as we head to the bus. Whereas last year, we were literally coming to and from the selection show, the first round game. Uh, there was no there was no celebration of us being in the NCAA tournament. There was no there was none of that around the team. And I think that affected our mood. Um, there was no one at our open practice. We didn't promote, you know, being in the first round of the NCAA tournament. I think there was a sense of entitlement with our program. And just because you coach at UConn, uh, especially in today's game, there's a lot of high level programs that aren't playing in this tournament. So you can't take it for granted. You can't be entitled uh, that you're just going to be there or just going to advance. So you're saying this team is is relaxed, uh, more loose, and you, you like the vibe you're getting from them? Yeah, I mean, I, I've not tried to. I've watched the shows last year. I, I just got up tight, and, and I, like, I didn't watch. Um, Sousa's selection show was over. We huddled up and started to just, you know, all right, fellas, we'll see you at 8 a.m. Mm. Um, you know, I didn't watch ESPN. I didn't watch the different bracketology shows and really embraced the experience. I got home and it was like, Jay Billis is picking you to win a national championship. All these guys got you going to the final four. And I sat there with my wife and, and, and texted the coaches and the players videos of it and just have fun with it. I mean, it's like, uh, it's such a great experience. We got a, we got a, we got a fantastic team that, if they're in the right frame of mind and, and I get these guys to play their best and the, and to be, have some swagger and, and enjoy the moment that we could play real well. I, I would agree. And, and, but you know, as well as I do, funny things happen in the NCAA tournament. You talked about the five twelve game and, and anytime you look at these five twelves, it's funny. Like the 12 seeds can be a two point underdog in those games, right? Because yeah. even Vegas knows those games can be close and we're a bigger favorite. We're, we were a bigger favorite when the lines came out than some two seeds. Um, and it's, I mean, listen, it's a neutral. You're playing a, this isn't a best of five or a best of seven, right? I mean, this is a neutral site game. Um, you know, it's a neutral site game and it's, you could be, you could play a top 10 season like we've played over the course of five months, which is incredibly hard to do. If you're off a tick and the magic starts happening the other way, it, it it, it it ends quickly. Dan, two more questions for you. One is about the other teams in the Big East. I don't know if you've even looked at other matchups or focused on it, but one team that could make a deep run other than UConn from the Big East. Um, I mean, I, I I was blown away by by the the. the uh, I I knew how good Marquette was offensively. Uh, they're one of the hardest teams to guard because of Kolick. Uh, and the way they play and, and, and Joplin Jones and, and Igadara, who's a very unique center, but the, the way that they defended at a much different level in the big East tournament, um, you know, would, would, would definitely in, in my mind, uh, you know, they would be the team. I think that could go the furthest with, with Xavier with a Fremantle. I would have them right there yeah. um, with a Fremantle. I think that losing that piece just, it hurts their depth. Uh, but they have that same quality. And I, I don't, Creighton, I always thought, uh, had the best starting five in college basketball. Obviously, lo losing Colt Brenner uh, to Mono and him missing time, it kind of disrupted their season. But I, I don't think there's a better starting five or a harder team to prepare for because of what Colt Brenner does at the rim. So I, I, you know, and then, but, you know, even I know Providence struggled late. I, I think the five of us, um, Quite honestly, I think all have a chance to, to win games and do damage.
I, I do. I'm I'm Big East biased, but I'm with you. Uh, last question. And this is a portal question, Dan. Mm. Because, you know, the portal opens on Monday. You're trying to prepare for an NCAA tournament and making a run. And 170 players are transferring. And you have to have information <laughs> on them. And you're think, you have to think about next year. How are you able to do this? And should there be something that's done to move it maybe after the NCAA tournament or another week away? Hey, listen, man, this thing has become, in, in some sense, you know, like a version of a G League. I mean, that, right? I mean, it's like hmm. you got some of the, you know, you got NIL type of deals going down. I mean, you, you know, you, you're, uh, you know, which obviously affect movement, the portal, um, you know, the extra year of COVID. You know, you don't know who has an extra year when you're doing scheduling or what have you in terms of non-conference stuff. It's, it's, you know, like I'll make a call on the way home, come on to Young's phone and Luke Murray's phones. Like they keep buzzing because they keep getting alerts as these people are going into the portal and they just keep firing out names as I'm watching Iona. Uh, <laughs> you know, like we know that we'll lose players. I think you have a sense during the year who's got one foot out the door on you. Um, you know, that that's the unfortunate part of it where, where players now don't learn how to stick with things, like don't learn, um, you know, to finish um, because obviously, you know, the, the, their life is going to be much different than the college experience um, when they get into the real world where it becomes much more of a meritocracy. Um, and and, and I, I think there's some bad lessons uh, from this that will hurt them overall in life, more beneficial during the college years, but hurt them when they're 30, 40, 50, 60, um, you know, which I don't think is good, but uh, I'll make a call on the way home for, you know, a position that I know I'm going to need to fill the gaps when I lose, you know, shooting scoring likely with Jordan Hawkins playing his way into the first round of the draft or right. just trying to fill in some different gaps where I could see people leave us. I, I guess, yeah, you're, you're trying to keep your eye on the prize, but yet look ahead, you know, a couple of miles ahead. Uh, yeah. You have to do both. And and that's the life we live in. So, But anyone that's not willing to wait, uh, you know, wait for me to give them their full attention until my team's done playing, um, I don't want them in the program. So if they're not willing to kind of wait for us to finish our season, maybe have some conversations before we could fully lay it out for them, then, you know, they're not, they're probably not the type of people that would succeed here. Well said, you know, why the rush, why the good things come to those who wait and coach, hopefully good things lie for you on the horizon. I know that Albany will be buzzing with uh, all of Connecticut, all of Westchester combining there. And uh, it should be great. Uh, can't wait for that game. And and hope you guys make a deep run in the tournament, coach. Thanks for the time. Appreciate you, my friend. All right. Dan Hurley gets it, right? If you can't wait for him to give you his full attention, then you're not the one for his program. Well said by the coach. They need to make a deep run. I am very tempted to pick Iona in this game, but I have been a fan of UConn all year. They're deep. They're balanced. They're peaking again. They rebound. Their guard play does scare me a bit. You know, you heard them talking about Jenkins and Clayton Jr., and maybe Iona has a slight edge there. But look, if UConn's hitting their threes, and they are rebounding, and they are getting offensive rebounds, and Caravan is doing what Caravan does, the Huskies will get past this first game. That is the most important one. The first one is always the most important, and I think if they can do that, then we will see them in the second weekend moving on from Albany and moving out 
into the West region. All right, let's talk about the other teams in the Tri-State in the NCAA tournament. And I want to talk about Princeton because this team really is playing great defense. I saw both of their matchups in the Ivy League madness over the weekend, beating Penn in the first game and pulling away in the final minute of that game to edge the Quakers for the third time this season and then putting the clamps on Yale. A very good Yale team that had beaten Princeton 10 out of the last 11 times and both times this year. Look, Princeton is clicking. You want to be playing your best basketball right now? They are. They are balanced. They are confident. They have some size that you don't see in a lot of Ivy League teams. And Tosan Awoma and Keyshawn Kellman, who, oh, by the way, his quads. I mean, this guy looks like he should be playing linebacker in the NFL. He looks like he's putting, you know, seven plates on each side, 630 pounds, and just and just crushing it. They have some size to match Arizona's. Arizona has a really good front court, too. So I'm really curious to see that matchup because they're going to have their hands full with Mr. Versatility for Arizona. If you have not seen a Julius Tabellis play, this guy is going to be an NBA player. Six foot nine, one of those classic European players, averages almost 20 points a game, 19.8 and nine rebounds. He can post you up. He can pass. He can dribble. He can shoot. He is Mr. Versatility for Arizona. And then, of course, they have that big seven-footer plugging up the middle. Umar Balo, and he's playing with a broken left hand. You talk about a tough dude. He broke his hand in the semifinals, played 26 minutes against UCLA with a broken left hand, so he's playing in this game. So the front court matchup should be fascinating. But really, Princeton's best chance to win this game is their three-point shooters. If Princeton is hitting their threes, they are going to be in this game. All right? Matt Alaco, Ryan Longborg, Caden Pierce, who I'll get to in a second. Zach Martini. This team won't be intimidated. Here they are following their win over Yale in the Ivy League Championship, talking about, hey, whoever we're going to play, we're going to bring it. I'm so happy for our guys, and, and it's a tremendous accomplishment, but um, there's still basketball to be played, which is the beauty of it. We're not done yet, and... Um, you know, we're happy to be in this position, but I don't think I don't think we're satisfied. You know, coming here, you always play for something bigger than yourself. Um, you know, this place does so much for each of us individually and being able to give back in any way and, you know, putting up a, another banner as a group is is just an amazing feeling. And, and, and you know, being able to do that together on our, our home floor is even better. Yeah, the country will get to see Tosan Awoma up close. This is a player who might be a second round, a late second round pick. But if not, he is going to get a chance to sign a free agent contract in the NBA and earn a two-way deal. It would not surprise me if Tosan Awoma makes an NBA roster as a two-way player and we see him in the G League and get some moments in the NBA to prove that he can be an NBA player. This dude is only going to get better and better. Now, there is one more player that I want to talk about in Princeton. The X Factor, Caden Pierce, 
Ivy League freshman of the year, six foot six. I mean, if this guy walked up to you, he's kind of unassuming, but he brings it. He did everything for Princeton in that final against Yale. This dude grabs rebounds. He hits threes. Did you see the three at the end of the first half? That really gave Princeton momentum. Yale's trying to cut the, the game to two or three points. They miss. Awoma grabs the rebound with about five and a half seconds to go. And I mean, he just turns and rifles one past midcourt on a dime. Pierce catches it, fires, hits it at the buzzer. And Princeton would never look back. Caden Pierce was, was amazing in this game grabbing offensive rebounds amongst the trees. There was one sequence where he got the ball at the top of the key, went right down the lane, one dribble, two-hand dunked it, then at the other end, went back and drew a charge. I cannot say enough good things about him. He is the next Princeton star, Caden Pierce. Follow him in the NCAA tournament. After the game against Yale, when Princeton won the Ivy League championship, I asked Mitch Henderson about Pierce, and you're going to love this answer. Here's what he had to say. I don't know if I should say this because I will, but it was, Cade was looking at St. Thomas in Minneapolis, newly Division One, us, and he was a really good golfer in high school. And I went out there, and I went to go see him, and we went out to lunch right next to his high school when he showed up in, like, really, you know, it was like, um, it was like, uh, dress like you're on spring break day. And he hadn't committed. And I was like, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> and man, you just get lucky. We're so lucky. He is a big 10, big 12 high major player in every sense of the word. He, from the minute he stepped foot on campus, he was good at the things that are so hard for freshmen. I mentioned earlier, I was joking about the shortest distance between two points being a curve. That's freshmen. They... They're like, well, what about this? No, go that way. You know, listen, Cade, every, since the very beginning, he said, well, if I listen, I'm going to play. And he's tough and physical. Happens that his, one of his helps that one of his brothers is a receiver for the Colts and the other ones play professionally. And there's, a, there's something in the air in that family. Um, I don't know. They think it's normal. Everybody else was like, it's unbelievable. So uh, we're here because of him. And of course, there's a lot around us, but we really needed that spot badly this year. We were... Now, we've had some injuries and some issues on the team where we, we just lost guys. Um, so he, he stepped up in a big way. And, and in our league, freshmen, you know, we were the only school, maybe one of the handful, us in Dartmouth, starting a freshman and playing three freshmen significant minutes. So I'm really happy that we're here. And, you know, it's great building for the future. I love that story. Um, imagine Mitch Henderson getting off the plane and, and seeing Caden Pierce in, you know, Bermuda shorts, uh, spring break outwear and, and been like, this is the guy I came to see. But obviously he's got great genes. Uh, even the players, even Matt Alaco and Awoma love this kid. And here's Alaco after the game calling Pierce a winner. Unbelievable teammate, competitor. Uh, he's, he's a winner. That's one word to describe him. He's a winner. He's, he's terrific. He's, you know, People say he's young, he's a freshman, but, you know, forget all that. He's he's a winner. That's what he is. Yeah, Caden Pierce is only going to get better and better. He is the X factor. 
if Princeton's hitting their threes, they have a, a shot to win this game. I think in the end, I think Arizona, their depth is, it's just, listen, it's just hard to pick a 15 over a two. Obviously, St. Peter's did it, made the longest run out of any 15 seed in NCAA tournament history, making the Elite Eight last year. But those are few and far between. I'm going to say they cover the spread. Arizona wins by eight. All right, but Princeton has the team. They have the weapons and the shooters to hang around and keep this thing close in the final five minutes. We shall see if there's more Princeton magic like they had back in 96 when Mitch Henderson and Pete Carrill and company pulled off one of the greatest upsets in NCAA tournament history when UCLA, the defending national champion, was taken down by Princeton. All right, before we go, I do want to talk about the NIT a little bit. I've said it on Twitter. I think Seton Hall got a raw deal. I'm not saying they deserved a home game, but you can't tell me that you couldn't have found a closer opponent. They couldn't have gone to Cincinnati. I mean, you could have sent Virginia Tech out to play Colorado. What they did to Seton Hall, the NIT committee, is, is an absolute travesty. It goes against everything that being a student athlete is all about. They found out on Sunday night who they were playing, had to hustle up and basically fly out the next day to Colorado and then play an 11 o'clock tip-off, if they're lucky, East Coast time, in high altitude. I mean, give them one more day. Did they have to play this game on Tuesday? Knowing what they were doing to these student-athletes. Right, and I say that. They are student-athletes. They're there to get a degree. Those players. All right? The majority, the vast majority of college athletes. Play that game on Wednesday. There's no reason to squeeze it in on Tuesday. It would be an incredible win if Seton Hall pulls this off. If, if there was, let's just say, five days to prepare and these teams played on a neutral court somewhere in Ohio, I think the spread is even. Maybe Seton Hall is a one-point favorite or a two-point, you know, one-and-a-half. These teams are very even. Colorado had the better non-conference. They had some really good non-conference wins against Tennessee. But then they came back to earth and had an awful Pac-12 season. I don't know what to expect. I will actually be surprised if Seton Hall wins this game under the circumstances. But the bigger story in New Jersey with the NIT is really Rutgers. And I wanted to save Rutgers for last because I feel the same way that Rutgers fans do and fans across the country. I was shocked. Well, maybe shocked is a surprising word. Maybe surprise is a better word, but let's put it this way. When 95% of the bracketologist, 95% of the 148 bracketologist pick Rutgers, I mean, we're thinking Rutgers is in, right? 
only two teams in the history of the bracketology matrix, the sum of all the bracketologists, only two teams had a higher percentage of likelihood of getting in and didn't make it. Virginia Tech in 2011, 97.8% of the bracketologists had them in. And Syracuse in 2007, 96.7% of the bracketologists. Rutgers was 95.2. So it's hard, man. It's hard when 95% of the people say you're in. I mean, there was a 4.8% a chance, according to the bracketology matrix, that Rutgers was not getting in. Now, throw all that out the window because it doesn't matter what the bracketologists say because the bracketologists are trying to use the same projections and the same metrics that the committee uses to base their projections on seeds and who's in and who's not. And at the end of the day, they don't know what's in the committee's mind and that's all that matters. So it doesn't matter that 95% of the bracketologists picked Rutgers because at the end of the day, that committee stacked Rutgers resume up against the NC States and the Providences and the USC's and the Nevada's and said Rutgers wasn't good enough. Why? Well, number one, awful non-conference schedule. You can't have the 342nd ranked schedule and end up with 19 wins. Rutgers has done it in the past. Steve Peichel has, has scheduled this week non-conference schedule and he's been able to pile up enough conference wins in the Big Ten. This year, it bit him in the ass. And you also can't go three and seven in your last 10 games when everyone's watching. Mawat Mag injury aside, you cannot blame it on Mawat Mag's injury. Did it influence the team? Sure, but they had 10 games to get it straight. And as Caleb McConnell told me and the media following the loss to Northwestern, and I'm this is a direct quote, it's not like Moat Mag was lighting it up before he got injured. That's what he said. We're not talking about Ron Harper. We're not talking about Geo Baker that went down. We're talking about Moat Mag. Did it influence the, the rotation and force guys to get more minutes that aren't, that aren't normally playing those minutes? Yes. But here's what it really comes down to. You can't lose to Minnesota when you're up 10 with a minute 15 to go. And you cannot lose by double digits at home to Nebraska. That's really what it came down to. Throw everything else out the window. Steve Peichel said it in his address to the media. We probably needed one or two more wins. Yeah, you cannot leave it to chance. We've seen it time and time again. You don't want to be on that tournament bubble throw them all in there eight through 11 they're all mediocre teams in the middle of power five conferences for the most part i don't care who you're talking about usc west virginia maryland 
Providence, NC State, they all have warts. Rutgers had warts. The NCAA committee decided they had a few more warts that were just uglier. And now you're in the NIT. And the question is, can Steve Peichel draw from his own history when he was at UConn in 1988 and UConn went all the way to the NIT final and beat Ohio State at Madison Square Garden? Peichel mentioned that as he's trying to get his team motivated for the postseason. You know, it's like any game that you you got to be able to get your team up and, you know, off the mat. And, and I want them to know, you know, I played in the NIT myself as a player. We actually had a you know, unbelievable run when I was at University of Connecticut in 1988. It was one of the great experiences that I had in, in, in basketball. And, uh, you know, this group has fought through a lot in the last four years. They fought through a lot of obstacles and expect them to do the same here. And You know, we're going to see. We're going to see if Rutgers is motivated to play because Hofstra is damn good. I would love to see Rutgers and Seton Hall meet in the quarterfinals of the NIT, but it's a long way to go. Sign me up for that right now. Sign me up for Rutgers, Seton Hall for the second time this year at Jersey Mike's Arena. Each would have to win two games. I know it's not going to be easy, but I would be there. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. It's here. The best time of the year. It's like it's like Christmas Day. We've been waiting for this moment. This is our December 25th. We've been waiting for this moment, and we're going to open up one present after another, beginning at about 12 o'clock with the main draw on Thursday. Can't wait for the games. Enjoy the games. Good luck in your brackets. I'm Brian DiNovellis. We'll catch you next time right here on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast.